Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Theme Park School, a themed experience educational podcast. This is episode six of the podcast. <sighs> Round two. <laughs> the first <laughs> the first remotely recorded podcast, and this is the second run out of it. Um, had some technical problems the first time with the whole remote remote recording software and getting everything set up, but hopefully this time it works. But I'm so glad to be joined tonight, again, I guess, by <laughs> two uh, titans, two young up-and-coming uh, professionals in the theme entertainment industry, two people that I uh, think very high of and I think are super smart and super well-versed and, uh, you know, the ins and outs of the industry from, from their standpoint. Happy to be joined by them. First up, we got Dustin Stefan. Dustin, please tell everybody about yourself a little bit. Hello. Well, I'm humbled, and I uh, sincerely appreciate you inviting me to come on here. Yeah. Um, so you asked for my story, elevator pitch, whatever. Um, I would, I guess my quick elevator pitch, elevator pitch, excuse me, would be I'm a left brain, right brain creative leader. I specialize in bringing together cross-disciplinary teams to conquer projects within project controls. Um, but really what that means, um, I started, I have a very interesting path into the industry. Like most, I started in live entertainment or like what it seems like a lot of people in the industry. Uh, I started as a child performer. Um, by the age of nine, I was getting paid to perform in theme parks. I continued my classical training um, into my undergraduate. I graduated with a degree in kinesiology from Indiana University. I was then hired by Walt Disney World Entertainment to perform full-time for about two years. I did a lot of different uh, interesting things. I was in Fantasmic, Block Party Bash, a parade as a quote-unquote dancer, as well as a few of the various friends. Uh, I was in Jam and Jungle Parade. I learned Beauty and the Beast live. And then I did a lot of Star Wars stuff. So I was the media Darth Vader, friend of Darth Vader mm-hmm. for quite a few years. So that was pretty cool. So even after I left Disney, they invited me to come back to do some special events, which was very fun. Um, I was then recruited to go perform in a show in Branson, Missouri. I did that and then was recruited to go back to Indiana University as an adjunct lecturer where I was a professor for about five years. During that time, I also ran my own production company during the evening. So I would teach during the day and then I would run my company at night. And then at the same time, I started auditing classes from our theater department. They're really great. Theatrical designer who was an Emmy nominated designer. So I started learning theatrical hand drafting as well as computer aided design to broaden my education. Um, I had an opportunity to have a successful offload of my company. And so I sold that, picked up stakes, and then went to Hershen's Family Entertainment in Branson, Missouri, where I did some more performing um, as well as writing and uh, various things before going to Carnegie Mellon. Yeah, and you know what? Better than last time you did it. Thanks. Yeah, I'm trying to like be a little bit more succinct, less meandering this time. Uh, you did. I, the funniest thing that you said was "quote unquote" dancer. I just, <laughs> that's, that's exactly true. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I would say Block Party was maybe one of the last dance heavy productions outside of equity productions. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tonight we're also joined by Benton Shortridge. He's here. Benton, please tell me about yourself. What's up? Thank you for having us, Carson. Um, yeah, so I am a mechanical engineering uh, graduate of Carnegie Mellon University. Um, most recently, I have been working at uh, Zamperla Incorporated uh, as a ride engineer, working on an expansion of uh, Coney Island Luna Park in Brooklyn, New York. Um, previous to that, I had the opportunity to intern at Walt Disney Imagineering, um, working on Avengers Campus. Uh, and before that, I had, I had the opportunity to intern at Universal Creative, working on Hagrid's. Um, so I'm very, very proud to have been a part of that project. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've wanted to be in this industry since I was in, like, middle school. Uh, you know, I've, I've always loved rides, specifically. And so I've had the opportunity to work on on some awesome rides for, for Disney Universal and Zamperla. I'm really thankful for that. Um, growing up in Southern California exposed me to this industry at a really young age, going to, um, you know, Disney, Universal, Knott's Berry Farm, Six Flags. Um, and specifically, I've always loved the rides. So that's that's what I've been doing. Yeah. I'm going to go off topic real quick. Um, so you said middle school. Do you, like, can you pinpoint the the thing or, like, the ride or the show or the experience or the park or whatever that, like, really tipped you off to, like, your interest in the industry? Because mine it has always been Back to the Future, the ride. Like, I went on Back to the Future, the ride when I was very young, and I saw, like, the, the pre-show videos, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like, they're telling, like, new stories outside of the movie, and, like, you're involved, and you're, like, now a character in this little story that they've created. And I think that's what kicked me off. But I'm always interested to hear what other people's pinpointed, <laughs> like, genesis moment of theme entertainment interest is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, for me... Um, what I was most, you know, what I was initially interested in the most was roller coasters. Yeah. Uh, and so I grew up going to Disneyland and I, I always loved that. Um, for, but for that moment that you're talking about, I was, I was in sixth grade. I was going to, you know, Six Flags Magic Mountain. And, you know, the big bad roller coaster that we would go on there is Goliath. Yeah. Uh, and so I just remember being there in sixth grade and, and looking at that roller coaster and being like, dang, this thing is so cool. Like, like someone's got to build this, right? Like, this doesn't just show up. Um, I, I wonder how you make something like this. And so, you know, went from there to Google and was like, how do you how do you make a roller coaster? And they're like, study mechanical engineering. And, you know, as a, as a sixth grader, I was like, all right, I, I guess that's what I'll do. Um, and so I did. And I did that at Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. And and that's a, oh, man, is that a Giovanola coaster? Honestly, I, I should know this and I don't. <laughs> Uh, um, I think that was like because they only did like a few coasters, and I think that's one of them. It is Giovanola. I just looked it up because they okay, did. Yeah, that's yeah. My old home park was Six Flags Over Texas. This is veering too much into fan territory, which I hate, but it's my fault. I did it. My home park was Six Flags Over Texas, and we had Titan, which is also a Giovanola coaster. And I mm -hmm. remember like looking into it, and I was like, oh yeah, they like barely make rides because I think they. It, it looks like Stangle designed it. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's very niche. Oh, maybe I'm tripping then. Um, 
Dustin. No, no, no. The manufacturer is Giovanola, oh, but it okay, looks like okay. the designer was Stengel. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Dustin, do you have an answer for that question? Um, <laughs> I know it's tough, and I just swear <laughs> on you, out of nowhere. I mean, as I mentioned, from an early age, I was performing and having that yeah. one-to-one relationship with an audience. Um, and seeing that you could get that immediate feedback from something that you were doing on stage, um, hopefully in a positive way, uh, was infectious. And to be able to provide opportunities for enjoyment, um, I always kind of sought that. Um, I have a very distinct memory of sharing a Mickey ice cream bar with my father while my mother and brother were riding Big Thunder Mountain. So I was too scared at an early age. <laughs> and that is, uh, you know, it's a very powerful memory for me um, in being able to share memories outside of the, the attractions. Um, so I don't know, as far as one moment, I can't pinpoint it. I, I love your answer of like the immersive quality of Back to the Future. Yeah. I guess it was different for you, though, because you said you were nine years old performing in the parks. Yes. Uh, it's Silver Dollars in Branson, yeah. Missouri. I, I remember, like, however many years ago, maybe a decade ago, when I went to Dollywood, and there were, like, children in the show. I was like, wait, what? Or even, like, I think Bush Gardens has, like, child performers, too, and I was so, like, like confused by that. But I guess it's, like, a, just a regular thing. If you need a kid and you're a regional place that isn't bound to like the, the intricacies of a mega corporation, like a Disney or universal, you can just get real kids to play kids and you don't have to get 18 year olds to play kids. Exactly. <laughs> Especially if your operation is seasonal and yeah. so it coincides with summer breaks, etc. cetera. Uh, it, it was definitely an, an amazing opportunity, especially for someone so young. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet. So the reason I, I brought both these boys on here tonight is because they're both graduates of Carnegie Mellon University. But before we get into the Carnegie talk, I think of these two gentlemen as... <laughs> I said this last week and they're like, what the hell are you talking about? I think of these two <laughs> gentlemen as masters of digital networking and, and masters of uh, especially uh, maintaining relevancy post-graduation. And I would love for you guys to impart any wisdom or any tips that you have about you know, digital networking, uh, getting posts on LinkedIn, uh, getting out there, putting yourself out there, all that stuff. What do you got? Yeah, definitely. Um, again, flattered that you would uh, think so highly of us. <laughs> but uh, It's true. It's, it's, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, for me, I, I mean, there are a few different things. Um, you know, first and biggest one is, you know, be present, be in those spaces, use LinkedIn. Uh, I use LinkedIn more than any other social media platform. Um, and that might sound crazy, but it's, you know, I, I love being able to network and, and figure out what's going on professionally in the industry on LinkedIn. Um, you know, engage when you see an interesting post, you got to comment on it, or even it's just saying congratulations. Um, but, you know, engage in other people's posts, um, and, you know, ask questions as posts or comments, you know, people love, um, answering questions and engaging in that way on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, you know, your posts don't have to be fancy or anything, but you know, just what are you up to? What projects are you working on? You know, what, what are you up to in terms of your own professional development? Those are things you can post about. Um, and yeah, reach out to people that are interesting to you. All right. If there are people out there that are doing the thing that you want to do with your career, like reach out to them on LinkedIn, like message them. See if they're willing to, to chat and, and share about their career. Um, 
I know I've reached out to a bunch of different people and you know, surprisingly, like a lot of them are willing to talk and, mm. and, you know, take 30 minutes to discuss their career or how they've been successful. And so those are definitely some of my main points in terms of using LinkedIn and, and social media in general. Yeah. I, I, I never would have thought that LinkedIn would be like a multi times daily check for me. Like, the way I check Twitter, <laughs> but yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely become that way. Cause it is like the, it, if you're not on LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn immediately. It is like the number one networking tool, especially right now. Yeah. It's an amazing oh, yeah. resource. I would uh, just echo what Denton said. Um, one, I'm flattered that you would consider, <laughs> uh, you know, good at this at all. Um, but you know, accessibility is at an all time high, especially, the certain circumstances that we are in, almost everyone's connected uh, to the hip of their computer. We're working remotely. And so you can reach out to almost anyone at any station and they will um, generally be more than gracious with their time and be able to get back to you and offer you either a mentoring moment, look over your materials, etc. cetera. Uh, at Carnegie Mellon, I got involved with the TEA uh, pretty early on in my time there. And so that was a great opportunity for me to go out, especially when we were doing face-to-face mixers uh, mm-hmm. and networking events to meet people. But with Carnegie Mellon being in Pittsburgh, there wasn't really that great opportunity to begin with. You'd have to fly to events. Yeah. Um, but now with all the content being driven online, if you're in one of these remote places, you have access to all of the great content that the TEA, IAPA, and these other organizations are putting out there. And most of them have chat functions or opportunities for you to network digitally. So I think getting connected in that way, I was on the Eastern Division board, and so that provided a lot of opportunities. But even outside the board, uh, the next-gen committee, staying involved there and staying involved in the different events, as I mentioned, a great way to meet people and for people to see your face uh, or your name there on the roster <laughs> and see that you're, you're involved and that you are part of the industry. Yeah. And um, were you going to say something, Benton? I heard you intake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good call. Um, but uh, yeah, just those, those online networking events are super important. And like Dustin was saying, right. Uh, they're, they're so accessible, like especially like TEA networking events, like, you know, they're having them every couple of weeks and, you know, they might have just been in Orlando or L.A. And now, you know, really wherever you are, you can you can join in and and network and meet people and have your face seen. And so um, especially right now when everything's so so digital, you know, it's it's pretty easy to just show up to, you know, all of the events from TEA, IAPA. I mean, there are a lot of different networking opportunities out there during this time. And that's the part of the thing that, you know, correlates to me calling you guys uh, master networkers. Dustin, like, like he said, it's like, oh, I have to fly down for events. But like he, he would, he would fly down. I would go to these Orlando based events and I would see him there and be like, this man flew down for another event just because that's how dedicated he was. I remember um, like right up to maybe like the semester or two before Dustin, you were graduating, uh, whatever IAPA that was, you were just like in like laser focused networking mode it was (laughs) one of the most like like machine like like i gotta i gotta go meet with this guy i gotta go meet with her i gotta go i gotta go upstairs i gotta go to this thing it's like it's like this man is like (laughs) 
following up with every available contact. He's graduating soon. The, t- the clock is ticking. I mean, you, you have to. And I was fortunate that my program, and most programs at Carnegie Mellon, they offer, especially the graduate level, uh, is, you know, monetary. Wow. For you to go to different networks. Wow. And then, I, I never got that as an undergrad. <laughs> Just saying that now. And I, I applied for extra grant money that way because, <clears throat> you know, if it's sitting there, uh, why not? And so I would, I would also try to be strategic about stretching those out. And yeah, I, that's, you know, a, I'm that's a good tip. And I would uh, fold up into you know, Spirit Airlines, you know, the cheapest seats that I could find just so I could go to as many things as I could. Did I say that last week? And now I have to reiterate that we're all tall people. There it is. Yeah. It's yeah. back. It's back. <laughs> I didn't want to lose that <laughs> that authentic moment. Yeah, that's a good tip. If if your school has like travel grants or academic grants that you can apply for, and if you're not in an industry hub, I, yeah, use that money. I, I don't think of it that way because I, I live in Orlando. So, but yeah, that's a great tip for when all yeah, this I mean, that was, starts back up again. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was big for me too. In in college, right? I'd I'd save up my money to to be able to go to IAPA and to ASTM. Yeah. Uh, I know. Uh, last time we explained what ASTM is, so. Um, shall we do that again? Go for it. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, so yeah, like I said, you know, a- IAPA and, and ASTM F24 are two big conferences that I would fly to in college to, to network with people and, and be more involved in the industry. Um, ASTM F24 in specific is a subcommittee of, of ASTM. Um, you know, they, they have standards for everything. Uh, but this is a subcommittee on amusement rides and devices, and so at this conference, you know, the, the head honchos of engineering and, and safety at the biggest theme entertainment companies, Disney Universal and ride vendors and others, um, get together to help formulate safety standards for roller coasters, other rides, bounce houses, zip lines, anything y- you can think of. Um, hay rides is one of them. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, you can go there and you can meet, you know, like I said, the head honchos of, of especially engineering at some of the big themed entertainment companies and, and going to ASTM F24 is what has given me pretty well most of my my professional opportunities and, and job opportunities. So I'm really thankful for the opportunities I've had from going just to that conference. Yeah, that's a hot tip for uh, any engineering type students, because I. I I'm so shocked every time because I live in my own like stupid little like creative designer world. And every time I go to a TEA meeting or some sort of online mixer or student run event, it, I am grossly outnumbered by engineers. It is like literally 75, 25 depends on the situation that I'm in. But uh, definitely engineers make up like a, a healthy heft of the like student body of, of themed entertainment professionals for sure. So Definitely look into that. Do either of you guys know about AIMS, A-I-M-S, International? I do yes. Know. Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's I've, another one I've I, never... I thought of this week. And I'm like, hmm, should probably talk about that too. Benton, yeah, 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 you might know yeah, I mean, AIMS I've, I've... pretty well, huh, with Zamperla. I, I mean, I've never been directly involved or have gone to their kind of events, um, but I've always heard it recommended. Okay. And so – um, yeah, definitely. I'd say if you're an engineer, uh, wants to get into themed entertainment, especially as it relates to rides, I would look into getting involved with Ames 
and I don't want to butcher what they're about. So I will leave that for people to look up. Attractions, industry, manufacturers, and suppliers is Ames. Yeah. I'll do a separate episode on it. <laughs> great. That works. Endless stream of content. Cool. So yeah, I you guys had some great tips. Like I said, uh, definitely get these guys on LinkedIn. Get these guys on whatever social media you want. They are doing all the right things, and they are uh, proven success stories of how these these networking methods and putting yourself out there, how that really pays off in, in my book. So <laughs> yeah. So now we could talk a little bit about you guys, your educational history, both graduates of Carnegie Mellon university. Um, Benton, you just did your undergrad there. Dustin, you pursued a master's of entertainment technology, which is a really cool degree to have. I think it sounds cool. <laughs> It's unique. It does, it does sound cool. So, Dustin, do you want to get us started with a little rundown of your time at the ETC, uh, highlights, projects you liked, history? Yeah, I, I know we talked a lot about the the history of the of the school itself and how it's the first. Uh, I think I even called it the granddaddy of themed entertainment education. It's literally the first program started. 20 yeah, years ago. And I said last time that I, you know, I'll probably get flagged for, um, you know, really butchering the history. No, you and nailed I that. Have, I remember. I probably should have done some more research. That was pretty good. It was good. Past. But uh, essentially the ETC, it, it was started, like you mentioned, by Randy Pausch and uh, Don Marinelli. Yeah. And it's really this interdisciplinary uh, collaborative environment. And you it's four semesters long. It's a two-year program. It's conferred jointly, or it's a mixture between uh, an MFA and a master's of computer science degree. Mm. And the first semester is an immersion semester, and all the students uh, take all the classes together. It's roughly a cohort of 75, or at least that's what it's been recently. Uh, the big classes that you take during the immersion semester, or the only classes, rather, are building virtual worlds, visual story and improvisational acting. Building virtual worlds, uh, we talked quite a bit last time, but it's this, uh, it's the cornerstone course. It's really how the ETC got its start there at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, it's a game design course at its heart, um, but it, it takes this huge group of students. And it's a mixture of computer programmers, artists, and uh, producers and you're put into rotating teams every week and you're tasked with designing an experience and so it really is a master class in collaboration and working out uh, creative ideas it's uh, as I mentioned so it's this mixture of these different skill sets so the ETC in its heart they really look at you know a mixture of I think I said like a 40% programmers 40% artist and 20% other. And so with me having this diverse background, I kind of fit into that other category. Um, and so we really kind of help drive the collaborative process between this, the programmers and artists to get some sort of product done. And so, as I mentioned, there's this iterative process happening every couple of weeks where you're, you're designing a new experience and you're given a different platform, whether that's uh, a traditional gaming platform 
um, like Connect or something new, virtual reality, or a new platform that hasn't even hit the market yet uh, that you're designing for this experience. The other, one of the other cornerstone classes is visual story. And so it's really a filmmaking class for non-filmmakers. And so you're, once again, you're put into uh, teams where you're having to create a product, whether it's a music video, a 360 film, um, all different sorts of manner of different uh, projects. And then the other uh, interesting class is improvisational acting. And so it's a great, a way to break down storytelling and story character development and communication, especially when so many of the students are international, figuring out ways to communicate, especially creative and abstract ideas um, becomes an interesting challenge. And so uh, through different exercises and improvisational acting, uh, you can really kind of help hone in on different methods and ways to do that as well as, as I mentioned, storytelling, story development, character. Uh, from there, the other three semesters are uh, considered project semesters. And so you work with an industry partner uh, to develop some sort of project. And for the most part, they're exploratory, so they're research-based. And it could be anything from uh, working with like Y2K games. Um, there was a team that was kind of reimagining uh, basketball games, uh, kind of how Rocket League reimagine soccer games. Oh. Uh, so reimagining how you're going to play different uh, games in that way, uh, working on the next iteration of Sims interaction or working on Sims in 3D uh, to, um, you know, exploring uh, immersive sound to, like my team, we did um, more of a themed entertainment. So we worked with Give Kids the World over the course of two semesters, which is kind of unique in that most, as I mentioned, are semester-long projects, and you're not really delivering something. Um, but they uh, wanted a final deliverable, and so we took one of their existing installations. It was a hand puppet um, actually built by Chuck Fawcett at Animax. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so it, yeah. Uh, it's a very small industry for those that are uh, yeah. getting in here. And so it had sat unused for quite a few years because when it was originally, the building was originally constructed, um, you had to climb around a working carousel up into this attic crawl space to get to this puppet to operate it. Um, but with safety standards changing in the last 30 years, they, just, they deemed this no longer safe. And so they <laughs> yeah. wanted us to turn this puppet into an audio animatronic as naive as we were, we're like, sure, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as you figure out like, you know, building an industry robust and audio animatronic in a semester, basically impossible. Yep. Um, I know about that. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, and so I, uh, for those that don't know, give kids the world. It's an amazing organization. They're a nonprofit. They work closely with, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. I believe Make-A-Wish is the uh, largest grantor of wishes there at Give Kids the World. And they offer children with life-threatening illnesses free week-long vacations. So children and their family, they get to go there and experience the magic of the local theme parks as well as different sporting events or anything in the Central Florida area that you could imagine or they could imagine. They get a grant their wish and everything is paid for. There's an amazing 
eatery on, on site. There's an amazing ice cream parlor, which they just rethemed and reopened. Um, um, an amazing, amazing place. And so it's really up to the kids that get to decide. And so, and everything is highly themed out. So it's basically like they are in a storybook land. Um, and so they, as I mentioned, they tasked us to build this audio animatronic. Um, we got to partner with them. It, it took, it ended up taking a year, but we did end up uh, installing it. And so they are, as I mentioned, a volunteer driven organization. So we had to really work with industry partners to deliver something that was robust that they could operate on a daily basis that could withstand volunteers that have no training to go in there and mash the heck out of our controls, uh, et cetera. And then once it breaks, because it will at some point, uh, how do they go in with a minimal maintenance staff and go in and repair? So it was, it was an amazing experience to work with in these industry confines. Um, and you know, I can't think of really any other school that has experiences like that where uh, we got to work hand in hand with an industry partner um, in, in different companies and vendors to make this happen. Uh, in that time, I also was granted an endowment from Carnegie Mellon, the Creative Good Fund, where I spent the summer working with Give Kids the World once again. You know, it's an amazing organization that aligns with my heart. Um, and so I kind of reimagined some future experiences for them as well as providing some opportunities for operational enhancement and then doing some beta testing of our interface. So the volunteers that I mentioned who are naive, they'd be able to operate and seamlessly. Um, I then, my last project, I worked with the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh working on an installation with them doing a mixed reality installation. So working on a different sector of location-based entertainment, which was interesting because um, you know, it brought in my scope of what is LBE, and museums are obviously a huge part of that, especially um, now. You know, if you're looking for different vendors, a huge part of their revenue stream um, typically is also museums. I mean, it, it's a huge driver of work. And so I was able to lead a team in developing, uh, as I mentioned, a mixed reality installation that combines a digital environment with a physical where the physical environment had a one-to-one -one interaction with the digital. And we were uh, trying to get children to enact qualities of kindness through play. Uh, so that was an awesome experience. From there, um, I most rec recently worked with Walt Disney Imagineering um, on the new Mickey and Minnie run Runaway Railway. Um, so I you know, tagged in at the last part of the project. Um, and utilizing a lot of the skills that I picked up at Carnegie Mellon in delivering our project deliverable. So, you know, as I talked about the audio animatronic, when we handed it off, we had to hand off all of the physical bits, but also um, guides, you know, how are they going to operate this audio animatronic for the next 10, 15 years without hopefully them having to hunt us down when we've moved on past our lives. Uh, so it was interesting, you know, having to go through all of that and then do that with an attraction. Obviously, Disney has completely different <laughs> protocol for that. And, you know, they've done that time and time again. Um, but essentially, it's just, it's scaled up. Um, so while we were building the audio animatronic, um, one of the really amazing parts of um, ETC, since you mentioned it's been around for a minute, um, is our alumni are spread out all, everywhere. Mm -hmm. So we were working hand in hand with 
audio animatronic experts from the major players, the major parks, um, to build this audio animatronic to robust standards. Uh, so it, it wasn't a new thing to just step into my role at WDI uh, and assist the team at that end. Yeah, that's awesome. If, if there's a, this is all the new stuff that you're talking about with endowments and grants. If there's one thing we can learn from Dustin, uh, apply for that stuff. <laughs> you know how oh, much yeah. you're paying for tuition? They can stand to give you a couple bucks to go <laughs> to, oh, yeah. True. to Florida to work on some projects. That was my thing. I'm like, if I'm paying this tuition money, I am going to get every <laughs> benefit I can. Yeah. Um, I didn't do that so much during my undergraduate, but when I ran my company, I also I, I wrote and received several grants from the the government, and it's I don't want to say it's free money because you have to do something with it, right? But it's a great way to fund your work. Uh, why not? Yeah, I might actually. Yeah, I, yeah. I also wanted to say, uh, going back to what Dustin was talking about, congrats on uh, Runaway Railway. Just just won an award for that one, right? Yeah, the award. I mean, I mean, congrats to the the team they're an incredible team to come in um they were like it, you're basically drinking from the fire hose which i was because <laughs> it was just <laughs> they were non-stop because they had the eye on the finish line um but what an incredible team and incredible achievement it's, it's a really charming attraction for those that haven't been able to get out there yeah yeah it's a great ride i i, I got to go on it not too long ago i really enjoyed it yeah i think the interplay between uh once again the digital and physical, which I'm all about. And I think they, um, you know, it's, it's really well done. Dustin, that must be cool too, to come back to a park that you spent so much time in like years prior. And now you're there like kind of in a different capacity. I can imagine that'd be awesome. Yes. It was very much like a homecoming to me. It was, you know, it's like basically I lived at the studios. I, I learned things at different parks and was, you know, cause entertainment's global. Um, but that really was kind of like my home. So to go back and then, uh, work out of the studios. It, it was pretty cool. Tall people always end up at studios. That's just how it's always been. That's how it always will be. <laughs> exactly. And it will be for a long time, especially with Galaxy's Edge there. Oh, yeah. And um, and Dustin, I love that you mentioned Give Kids the World as well. I know you, sure. you worked on the animatronic project, but just Give Kids the World is such an awesome place. And um, Zamperla actually, you know, has donated a couple of, you know, very accessible rides down there. So people of varying abilities can can go on them. And so it's such an awesome, you know, kind of experimental place for themed entertainment, uh, as well as, you know, serving, uh, you know, a specific community in such a incredible way. Yeah, those Zamperla attractions we talked about a little bit last time, they're amazing. And to see guests be able to um, get on and enjoy an attraction where they typically haven't been able to in that way before it's incredible um so i apply applaud all of the vendors out there uh, that work with give kids the world and work, work with other nonprofits. i know children's hospitals etc um they're just all very deserving and the children they you know they need places like that where they can escape their adverse situations yeah absolutely Okay, Benton, I'm going to introduce your time at Carnegie Mellon. Bear with me. I'm doing this on the fly. So <laughs> what what I th- thought felt like years ago, turns out it was just one year ago, I heard about <laughs> this group of students at Carnegie Mellon who were building a dark ride 
for their spring carnival. And I'm like, this is insane. Like they're gathering all these resources. They're building, they're like laying track. They're like pushing the riding vehicles through the building up to these little scenes. And ironically, uh, you know, much like a, a football push sled, you know? Eh, yeah. Are you going to, you going to tie that in now? <laughs> um, yeah. And come to find out last week when we recorded this episode for the first time, my buddy Benton, it was one of those students who worked on this old mill dark ride. <laughs> Indeed. And I was there. And that you were a football player. <laughs> I didn't know that either. At Carnegie Mellon, you played football. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Sorry that I, was I rough. Make- so I'm handing it over <laughs> to you. <laughs> cool. Thank you for the introduction. Um, but yes, uh, I was the head engineer on the old mill dark ride. We built it for... Carnegie Mellon Spring Carnival 2019, which, like you said, is only like a year and a half ago. I literally feel, I swear I would have heard about that in 2016. Like like I said, last time I was like, <laughs> so that was before your time, right? I was like so sure that it was before your time, but it was one year ago. Crazy. Don't yeah. Back. It was like five years or a decade ago. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Quarantine time. Uh, it's just different time. Um, but yeah, so I was the head engineer on that project. Um and kind of how that all started, uh, well, I guess I can backtrack a little bit. During my time at Carnegie Mellon University, I started a theme park engineering group with one of my good friends, Che. And um, we wanted to kind of combine our engineering curriculum and uh, trying to bridge that gap to themed entertainment, um, seek out professional development opportunities for ourselves, uh, some of those being working on projects. And so... Um, you know, about a year before we actually operated the old mill and opened it up for, for spring carnival, uh, we started thinking about it and, um, we linked up with our friend Roly, um, who we knew he wasn't in the club at the time, but we knew he was interested in, in building a, a ride of some sort. And so we were like, well, let's, let's all join together and see what we can do. And so, um, you know, we were thinking about Carnegie Mellon spring carnival and that there are a lot of different traditions and, uh, one of them is that students build things called booths. They're a one to two story walk through attraction, essentially. Um, and those are built every year at Carnegie Mellon. I mean, with the exception of COVID carnival that didn't happen last year. Um, but uh, yeah, so students build walk through attractions of sorts. And the campus also brings in, you know, carnival amusement attractions, um, round rides and the like on the campus. And so we were kind of thinking, you know, we've got these walkthrough attractions and we've got these carnival rides, but what if we actually had like a a themed ride? What if we, what if we did something that was kind of in the middle? And so, um, kind of started there and then took us about a year to go from initial thoughts and, and creative development to, you know, actually building out a full scale dark ride on campus in an old gym that we were able to, um, you know, had the university let us use and, and then kind of abuse that room a little bit uh, to get it to work. But um, yeah, so about a year process and built the, you know, the old mill, uh, fully operational, uh, full scale dark ride in, in an old gym. And uh, yeah, it's based on the old steel mills of Pittsburgh uh, and also inspired by the old Kennywood ride, uh, the old mill, before they changed it to Garfield's Nightmare. Um, but now they changed it back to the old mill. So thank you, Kennywood. Uh, I'd like to think we inspired you on that one. Okay. Yeah, um, you did. You, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
so yeah um I was really thankful we were able to to do that. I, like you you said, the one <laughs> the one um, kind of challenge we had in the middle was we were planning to build this dark ride with operational carts that were motorized, <laughs> uh, and right in the middle of the process of designing out these carts and figuring it out, the university was like, "Yeah, no motors on those carts. Safety issues, insurance not happening." We were like, "Oh." <laughs> okay, um, let's let's think about how we want to make that work, and and so we ended up um, having the carts be be pushed by people, like you mentioned. Um, but we incorporated that in the story, kind of in a in a jungle cruise skipper kind of way, yeah. where this this cart pusher was your tour guide throughout um, Garfield Steelworks, which was the <laughs> the name of the the steel mill in the ride. But yeah, turned out all right, and you know. If you want to, you want to check out the video for it. It's on my LinkedIn profile. Um, but yeah, and also like you mentioned, uh, it didn't it didn't hurt that I also happened to play football during my time <laughs> at Carnegie Mellon University, and so pushing those carts around wasn't wasn't too big of an issue for me at least. Uh, and yeah, I did <laughs> I did that for a couple of days for like six hours. <laughs> yeah, it's just call it extra training. And again, this. This ride thing, I don't think has been done again. I don't, to the best of my knowledge, and I feel like I would have heard about it. I don't think any other school, program, group, whatever, has built a dark ride. So that's my challenge. As soon as we're all back to on-campus class, somebody build another dark ride in a gym at <laughs> their school. Or anywhere, you know? like yeah, outside, it, whatever. Do it. do it. Yeah, we got... Um... We got a certain amount of funding from our, our club funding on campus since we did it through our theme park engineering group. And in addition to that, we did crowdfunding as well. And, and we were able to pull everything off for under five grand. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of uh, stretched what we had and, and got some things donated by people in the industry. Uh, but it's, it's very possible. Uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> there's a core group of about five of us that did most of it. Um, and, you know, we, we had, you know, a few more that, that helped out day of and with some other things, but yep, very possible. And I know Carnegie Mellon has been planning, uh, you know, our TPEG has been planning on uh, trying to do a second iteration of the old mill. Oh, wow. um, they were, they were going to do it for last, um, you know, last carnival, carnival 2020, uh, but carnival 2020 got canceled because of COVID. Right. So um We'll see if, if they try to do it again. But yeah, any other student group, it's, you know, it's possible to do. And if, if you are, um, you know, if you want to, you can do it. Hey, everyone. Just wanted to jump in here real quick. This episode we recorded ended up being over an hour and 20 minutes long. So I'm going to go ahead and split it up into two parts. I just wanted to make sure that Benton finished his story about his time building the old mill dark ride at Carnegie Mellon, which is super cool. But we'll pick back up next time with Benton retelling his experience as an engineering student at Carnegie Mellon. And then I had some additional questions for the guys and some more great insight on their behalf. So we will see you next time with all that. Thank you so much for listening to Theme Park School, a themed experience educational podcast. Have a question about the podcast or themed experience in general? Be sure to reach out to us at themeparkschoolpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at themeparkschoolpodcast for book recommendations, helpful resources, and more. Theme Park School, a themed experience educational podcast, is not affiliated with any theme park design firm, university, or trade organization. 
Views expressed are those of the host and the guests.